You're listening to the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the world-leading tech incubator, the DMZ. In this podcast, each episode brings in the movers and shakers of the world to cover leadership mentality, tips for business owners, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's your host, Canada's leading podcaster, CPA and business strategist, Robert Gold, managing partner at Bennett Gold LLP. Once again, from high atop the Movers and Shakers Podcast Center in Toronto, live and in the morning, way up on the 80th floor and way off to the southwest, I can see Punky Doodles Corners, Ontario. I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Bennett Gold LLP, Chartered Accounts and CPAs in Toronto. Today, this makes me very excited. Dr. Mohamed Lashami is with us. Dr. Lashami, Mohamed is the President and Vice Chancellor of Ryerson University. Mohamed, welcome to the Movers and Shakers Podcast. Thank you very much. Pleased to be with you. Yeah, I'm so pleased you're here. We're going to get a lot of great information about you and the DMC, but let's get a little bit of background. Dr. Lashmi, you're President, Vice Chancellor of Ryerson University in Toronto. You're an internationally recognized researcher and an accomplished academic administrator, but your journey to Ryerson started long before you took on the role of President. So I'm really interested. Can you give us an overview of the path in academia you took and how you got to where you are today at Ryerson? Thank you very much uh, for the question. The beginning of a journey uh, was when I was born in a small village in Algeria, North Africa. Just two days after the war ended, 132 years of colonial rule by France. Uh, I was the first child in a family of five. My parents had no access to schooling because of colonization. And however they dreamed, education would give their children and a better life and open doors. So I was the first in my family to attend school. But in our town, we had nothing beyond elementary school. So my parents moved to a larger town so I could attend middle and high school. I moved again, but this time I left my family behind when an earthquake destroyed schools. So then I worked hard to improve my French so I could study engineering at a national university. After five years in civil engineering undergraduate program, I chose Canada for my grad studies. At the University of Sherbrooke in Quebec, I was surrounded by other international students. I was exposed to international perspectives, and I think that gave me a good chance to be a global citizen. And during my time in Sherbrooke, I taught myself English so I could move to English Canada. And that led me to Ryerson when I started my academic career in 1998. Ryerson, I discovered the more global perspective of being in a global city, but also aspect of uh, diversity. I uh, was involved in a supervision of many students at the graduate and especially at the graduate level. I was pleased to supervise more than 60 grad students and postdocs from 25 countries. I also started the journey at Ryerson in administration and management, starting with the program director, moved to be the dean of uh, engineering and science and then provost, and I have been president and vice chancellor for the past five years. I understand that this month is your five-year anniversary. 
That's exactly, actually, uh, April uh, 2021. I'm starting my uh, second five-year term as president after uh, spending the last five years as president uh, in a university that I love. Well, well done. I don't know what the five-year gift is, whether it's a diamond or paper or cobalt, but I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to give you a paperweight made out of that. But I want to talk about engineering and the earthquake you experienced, because your affinity with engineering, it began when you were very young, and you completed three engineering degrees, which to me, as a CA, is very impressive. But you also had a very impactful moment at a young age when you saw the consequences of faulty engineering, and that would be the earthquake. So can you share with us your experience in that earthquake that hit your hometown in Algeria? You alluded to the schools being wiped out, but let's talk a little bit more about your experience and how it affected your path. I was 18, and uh, it was the most uh, devastating moment of my life. In less than 30 seconds, a major earthquake buckled roads, uh, collapsed buildings, and destroyed most schools, unfortunately killing more than 4,000 people. From that moment, I committed to finding out why some buildings were standing while many were completely destroyed. And uh, that really launched my focus on the human side of engineering. And for me, engineering is about enhancing quality of life for people. The bottom line is how to make people's lives safer, better. Curiosity fuels creativity and innovation. You were a young guy. You got three engineering degrees. Let's talk about future innovators for a second. And we have a lot of future innovators and entrepreneurs that are listening. Give any advice for how someone can nurture their curiosity and turn it into meaningful action as you did? I think it's important for young innovators and entrepreneurs always to uh, challenge all assumptions. It's important to ask questions. It's extremely important to always try to push boundaries and be willing to disrupt the status quo. I think that our definition of innovation at Ryerson is making sure that we question and disrupt the status quo. And my advice also to young innovators and entrepreneurs is make sure that you surround yourself with people who can support you, who can advise you. So the importance of Make sure that you have mentors in life and uh, being um, willing to take risks and accept that in life we have obstacles. But I think we also have to find a way to overcome those obstacles. So those are kind of the, my opinion, ideas based on my own experience and how this can really help, especially young entrepreneurs. I want to explore for a second who you surround yourself with as an entrepreneur and an innovator. Steve Jobs always said, surround yourself with A-team players. Now, I work in a local CA firm. I'm a managing partner. I like to think we've got A-team players, but you can't always hire or find A-team players. There's a lot of businesses looking for the A-team players. Let's talk for a second. What are your thoughts on how you choose the right people to surround yourself with? In my own experience, I think it's all about the attitude and the uh, fit between members of the team. Uh, Make sure that you surround yourself with people who can add value, not just people who will be completely aligned with with your vision. It's important also to accept that in your team we have people that can push boundaries and uh, question those assumptions and make sure that at the end of the day you have a common vision but not necessarily the same type of leadership style. Uh, Make sure that uh, you also are open to learn from others because we 
are living in a world where it's very important for us to look at any problem from different perspectives, from different angles. And that has to come from a multidisciplinary team that can help advance the common vision of any organization. And I certainly agree with you not to hire people that reflect your own values and approaches because then you're just hiring people like you and you'll not be challenged and you won't advance appropriately. So I agree. Find people that challenge you. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about innovation and entrepreneurship at Ryerson because you've been a key contributor to Ryerson's growth and development over what is really a transformational time in the university's history. You've embraced entrepreneurial thinking. You've embraced innovative thinking. You're not the first in a line of Ryerson presidents to do so, but you've taken it to another level. I know the post-secondary institutions are not often recognized as being thought leaders, but Ryerson fights against that narrative. What role do you believe entrepreneurship and innovation really play in an academic environment? I think it's critical, especially in the 21st century. The reality of universities in general, I would say universities are thought leaders when it comes to scholarly research because they challenge the status quo, but they traditionally lacked in involvement of entrepreneurship and student innovation. And I would say that students are key in this. We have to trust them, and we have also to give them all the tools for them to innovate and push boundaries. Why? Because innovation and entrepreneurship are natural extension of challenging the status quo. Innovation, not just for tech or for business ideas, but in our innovation ecosystem at Ryerson, We cover different disciplines, from fashion to law, from journalism to art. But the piece that is extremely important, especially in times of pandemic, is the social innovation. And we need to encourage people also to look at the issues that are around us because of the pandemic, because of all inequalities created, and find a way to innovate and also help society. I would say that is an extension of Ryerson's focus on experiential and work-integrated learning. We need to prepare students for careers, but those careers can start in our innovation ecosystem. Instead of just waiting for students to get jobs at the end of their journey at any given university, let's give them a chance to create their own jobs and jobs for others. And I think that's the essence of what we do at Ryerson. Well, the thing at Ryerson that always impressed me is the zone learning method. There's the legal zone, the medical zone, the business zone, fashion zone, marketing zone. How does this experiential learning model really set Ryerson apart from any of your competitors in the university space? I I agree with you. It's a very unique uh, model, and I think it's a model that fits the needs of the 21st century. The secret with that, this model of zone learning started actually from bottom-up, not top-down. And it was driven by the interest and passion of students. We have to trust our students and give them opportunities to push boundaries and also to bring their curiosity in this ecosystem that we are creating. And has many advantages. And of course, it covers different areas. So we can see it in social entrepreneurship or social innovation to business entrepreneurship. So basically, we can create also opportunities of collaboration between different disciplines. Part of our mission is to provide exceptional experiences for our students. Let's give them that opportunity to change society and to make sure they are change makers in society. And I think 
our model that we have now, including 10 different zones, is a model that can help students question the strategic school, but also create opportunities for themselves and for all of us. Recently, you published your 10-year plan. The 10-year plan commits the university to challenging all sorts of conventional approaches to education and research and creative activity. I'd like to understand how the 10-year plan is going to help you approach some of society's biggest challenges right now, diversity and inclusion, indigenous engagement, sustainability, social justice matters. How does your 10-year plan challenge these items? The big picture that universities rise and any other university have a role in building better communities and better cities. In our case, we have our city building concept in everything that we do. We don't isolate ourselves from the communities around us. These are issues of society, so we need to be fully engaged with communities around us. And as society becomes more diverse and paying more attention to sustainability, we must be at the leading edge, or we have no role to play. In this case, we will be non-relevant. So it's very important for us to be part of the solution and contribute to make sure that society is a better place because of our engagement. Diversity, indigenous engagement relate to also to access to education, and we must remove barriers to access for different communities around us. Always indigenous part is important, but also we have different communities that are struggling to access higher education. And let's make that as a commitment for the university where everybody will find a way to contribute to make society a better place. These are laudable goals, and would you say that your 10-year plan differentiates Ryerson from some of the other universities in Ontario and across the country? I would say that Ryerson has been always using the concept of innovation, creativity, but engagement with society as a tool to do a better job. I'm glad that we have a number of universities that are also now paying attention to this, but I think our model that we have is kind of very unique, and we hope that we can also have influence on the sector, not just us, because if more universities are paying attention to the role of the university in the 21st century, I think at the end of the day, we all benefit from it. So if we go 10 years down the road to the end of this 10-year plan, what does Ryerson look like in 2030? That's a very good question, and uh, no one can predict what the uh, world of 2030 will look like specifically. However, the version that we have at Ryerson provides guidelines for where we will go to help create a sustainable and hopefully prosperous future for Canadians. In this case, we will be bold, inclusive, and nimble, strong partnerships, tackle the most complex challenges facing society, nurture innovators and entrepreneurs, take calculated risks, and intentionally advance equity, diversity, and inclusion, and create new opportunities to improve lives. This approach will ensure Ryerson is relevant and true to its mission and can contribute to make society a better place. So I'd like to ask you a question. We have entrepreneurs yes. and innovators, 
business owners of all sizes and shapes across the country and beyond our own borders. Based on everything that you've seen to this stage in your career, what are the three pieces of advice that you would give to any innovator or entrepreneur in Canada that they need to consider seriously to make it to the next step? One thing that is important is make sure that they can also find a way to collaborate with others. If we do things in our small circle, we will not be able to have a major impact. So I think collaboration and partnership is important. And also look at the big picture and make sure that we all hope for a better future. I think we have to be optimistic about the future if we want to be successful. Absolutely, we have to be optimistic. What about access to funding? This is an issue across the country that I see every day. Entrepreneurs and innovators, access to funding in Canada, especially for the startups, is very, very difficult. Do you see anything changing down the road on that? Have you got any perspective on funding for entrepreneurs? Absolutely. It's one of the barriers, especially entrepreneurs. I mean, we have seen a lot of success stories in our DMZ when people are starting a small company or startup. The biggest issue for them is really scaling up. And I think there's a role here for the business community to help and believe in those entrepreneurs. But also there is a major role of government to help also retain talent in Canada because, unfortunately, we have many of those entrepreneurs, when they see barriers here in Canada, they move to, uh, to the U.S. and they have better opportunities. So I think we have to invest in our entrepreneurs to keep them here in Canada, to retain them here, because the return on that investment is huge for all Canadians. How does a Canadian entrepreneur innovator go about building an advisory board or seeking out mentors? I'm a big believer in mentorship. What do you think the best and most direct way, say, to make it easy to find an advisor for your board or to find a mentor? How does an entrepreneur go about that? I think it's important to reach out to other people for advice and not to be shy because part of being entrepreneur is making sure that we push boundaries and seek advice from people and make sure that they're part of that circle, that they can help us. And I can tell you, in Canada, we have many leaders that are actually looking for opportunities also to help those young entrepreneurs. It's about making sure that the door is open from both sides to get to the right people to be helpful for entrepreneurs. Would you say you're approachable by your Ryerson student community? My door is always open. The best part of my job is actually my interaction with students. My policy is always making sure that my door is open. These days, my virtual door is open, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. But I will always make sure that I'm approachable. And I talk to a lot of students, and that's the part of my job that I enjoy. Well, I can understand that. When I get an opportunity to guest lecture at any of the colleges or universities in Toronto, my most fun is the interaction with the students, so I certainly get that. Here comes my favorite part of our podcast, and these questions are submitted by our listeners across the country. These are our rapid-fire questions. Mohammed, are you ready? Okay. Favorite spot yeah. on campus when you can be on campus? It's really to be at the place where I can see students. So uh, Student Learning Center is my favorite spot. First real job? Teaching and research assistant. Favorite local takeout spot? I live in the city of Mississauga. We have a place called French Corner. That's my favorite one. What are you currently reading? Actually, I'm currently reading a book by our upcoming provost, Jennifer Simpson, and the title of the book is Longing for Justice. How do you relax? Reading, 
spending time with my family and uh, watching soccer. I'm a big fan of soccer. Who's your favorite team? Barcelona. How are they doing now? Not good. This year is a, the most difficult year for them. But, you know, when you're a big fan of a team, it's also the history of the team. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Early bird or night owl? With coffee, I can be both. <laughs> when you can travel, favorite travel destination? Cape Town in South Africa. It's the, the most beautiful city. What's the best part about doing what you do at Ryerson? The best part, actually, is the Ryerson community. It's a very caring community, very engaged, and it's all about the innovation. And I'm always amazed by the energy and engagement of our students. And what business will not be around in five years? Oh, my goodness. Maybe uh, not in the form, but I think the retail um, industry has to reform itself because of the pandemic, but also because of technology. Mohammed, is there anything around the topics we've talked about that I didn't ask you that you would wish I did ask you or you'd like to state for us? I think you covered a lot of topics, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, you're very welcome. Dr. Mohammed Lashmi, President and Vice Chancellor of Ryerson University, one of my favorite places in Toronto. Thank you for being a guest on the Movers and Shakers podcast. Thank you very much for the support. And until next time, I'm Robert Gold, Managing Partner of Bennett Gold, LLP, Chartered Accounts and CPAs in Toronto. If you want to know what a great CPA firm can do for you and how we innovate, check us out at bennettgold.ca. See you next time in the morning, everyone, and good night, Punky Doodles Corner, Ontario. And that's a wrap for this episode of the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at dmz.ryerson.ca for more tips and tools designed to support your business. Until next time.